Relationships are difficult. Everybody knows that. Most people think it's because of money, sex, kids, work, or who picks up the socks. Some people think it's because we're just not right for each other or we don't have enough in common. Look, it's not just you or him or her. There's actually nothing more difficult on the planet than another person. We've heard the Beatles say, all you need is love. Well, actually, it ends up, we need just a little bit more. We need the skills that help us really communicate and understand one another. Skills that come from spending time with one another, attuning to one another, and really knowing deeply another human being. The journey of intimacy is one of the most challenging and the most rewarding journeys we will make in our lives. Join me with Stan Tatkin as we learn the tools and techniques of how to rev up our relationships. When we make a pact with someone, what is that really involved? Well, a pact is, you know, is basically a social contract. But here's the deal, because people get this idea of contracts, you know, they have to sign things. And no, we're talking about uh, principles. Principles are considered higher than laws and rules, right? So we want people to think, you know, uh, uh, more grandiose here in the sense of like, what would be your Ten Commandments? What would be a what would be placable agreements that start with we do this right, um, and make sure that it's positive. Like you know, it's not like we never do this right. We this is what we do, and of course the understanding of that is this is also what we don't do. But you don't write that right. So it's pithy. Um, it has to be understood by a five year old, because what we're doing with each other is we're coming up with big ideas that take care of small behaviors, behaviors that uh, otherwise drive us or uh, feelings and, and thoughts, urges and so on that drive us to do things that are not secure functioning, not collaborative, not fair. And so this is how we rein each other in two different people with two different nervous systems, rather than saying you should do this because I want this. No, remember, this is what we do. We agreed on this. We both believe in it. Therefore, if I don't do this, I'm violating my own principles. So it's an easier way of governing each other. And that also turns out to be seen, if you have children, it turns out to be seen and experienced and witnessed by your children. And what better example uh, than to say, hey, if you want to know how to deal with conflict, watch mom and dad, watch both of us. Uh, so that's what we're talking about in terms of pacts. Well, because whether we realize it or not, we're modeling it for our children. We're modeling something. Right. Question, we're modeling something, it? either something exemplary or, or <laughs> right. something that we don't want them to emulate. Right. And they will. Um, they're watching. They're watching at all different ages as their brain develops. And at every age, they're understanding more and more complex um, uh, with more and more complexity, how you and I, for the, the couple, you and I are, are doing business with each other. So that's what they're going to take away in their relationships. But it's also how they're going to behave according to their understanding of what we're doing. Right. Well, and so it's interesting. So you can do this as a couple when you're married, but you also talk about doing a pact while you're dating. Well, yes, but not right away because it's kind of, I mean, imagine going out on a first or second date and say, let's agree to do this. And the other person <laughs> is likely to go, hey, look at that time. <laughs> yeah. um, you don't want to do so, it prematurely. No. As uh, you know, I was just spent the weekend with many friends at a conference and uh, Helen Fisher, who's a, a wonderful person, biological anthropologist, she says uh, dating is, is not about openness. It's not about uh, truthfulness. It's about winning. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> you know, in the animal world, dating is about winning, winning that mate. And so uh, you don't want to do that early. You want to size up your person, pay attention, really look closely, Sherlock them, 
And in other words, be uh, be present, uh, not like you're looking at them as if you're you're imagining what kind of criminal they are. So that's what you want to do. But no, these agreements packs uh, come later. So the longer you're together, say you're together a year, and yeah. you're kind of moving into maybe more of a serious relationship, that would right. be maybe a good time during dating to do a pact. Well, I think what has to happen is not so much we're uh, we're making sure we agree but i am as i'm vetting you and paying attention i'm listening for signs that you do agree with my values with my principles about how the relationship should go and and expand it outward how our relationships with others should go because that is really what we're vetting it's nature is dealing with the matter of of mixing up the gene pool. Um, you know, that is something we don't really do as consciously as we think, but it, there is a conscious component to it. But nature doesn't have a plan for long-term relationships, so we have to. And that means that we're listening and watching for signs that this person is a willing player with us in this game we call secure functioning. In the long run, we're heading someplace. We want a system that is strong, uh, durable, um, able to handle all kinds of weather, including the weather we create, and we can trust each other with our lives. That is uh, the, the true, I think, reason uh, to be in a long-term relationship. That secure attachment, that safety. Yeah, the safety. The secure attachment gets into uh, a research model that gets confusing, which is why we say secure functioning. Okay. Because people are behaving according to uh, principles of, of mutuality, collaboration, cooperation, and then I also say justice, fairness, and sensitivity to each other. Uh, that, that, is a, that is an understanding, a reckoning, that the two of us, by by agreement, are going to care for each other, whereas other people may not because they don't have those agreements. Okay, that makes sense. So another thing that was interesting in, in the Wired for Dating, say that you're, you're with someone, you've done some of the Sherlocking, the vetting, and you find out you've come to this place and there aren't enough things that you see that are going to carry this into a secure functioning relationship. And you talk about kind of like the art, if you will, of breaking up. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Well, it, it, you know, we have something today called ghosting. And, and though that existed when I dated a little bit, it was really considered like unusual, rare, and terribly rude. Uh, where somebody just disappears, and you wonder if they're still alive. But today it's pretty common because of the ease with which we, you know, swipe left, swipe right, and, and uh, it seems to be a, this uh, endless, um, faceless, uh, anonymous uh, pool of uh, takers. And so, uh, uh, and so it's a problem because people still don't know how to say, I'm sorry, I don't think this is going to work out. Uh, you're a great person, nice person. I wish you all the best and, uh, and take care. So uh, people have a hard time with that. And uh, part of it has to do with the fear of uh, hurting another person. Uh, another part of it, I think, is our own fear of having somebody break up with us. There are some people who will keep people going because they like the idea that somebody wants to be with them. But here again, you know, we're practicing our people skills because uh, if we can't uh, if we can't break up properly with somebody, then can we really? Uh, operate properly with somebody that we're staying with. So there's that. And also doing that before you feel strongly, strongly attached, if at all possible. Uh, one of the things that happens is that we do attach uh, fairly quickly. And if we're not looking out, if we're not keeping track of who this person is and do do they represent the relationship we want to be in? Um, then we will overlook everything and we'll just say, well, you know what? My heart says yes, even though everything else says no. And those people come in to see me eventually. Right, right. <laughs> Couple therapy. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and because there, there's that thing too. I, there's a book called, uh, I think it's too good to go, too bad to stay. Yes. And they talk about that, you know, where, where you're stacking up all these things that do not fit in the relationship, these things that are not okay. And then you put on the one scale, you know, you have all these negatives on one side of the scale and then you say, but I love him. Yes. And, and then that's who inevitably ends up in my office as well. Exactly. It, it's not the person it's hard to, it's hard to get people to understand this it's not the person it's 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 what the person is willing to do that that is that is similar to or goes along with what you want so we both agree on monogamy or we both agree on polyamory we both agree on full transparency or we both agree on keeping things secret fine um, but we're pointing in the same direction and on big ticket items there are no deal breakers the problem is is that people enter in relationships with these deal breakers still there and it's going to get them at some point it doesn't matter that you love this person. What does matter is that you're pointing in different directions and that can't last. So when you, when we realize this, we realize we're pointing in different directions. You know, part of what I'm hearing you say is it's important that we're able to then start articulating and having these maybe uncomfortable conversations Yes. because we've got to be willing to do that because then we're not going to do it later in the relationship either. When we're actually in a maybe healthier relationship, we have to learn to speak up for ourselves and have our voice. Yes. And be willing to on, again, on big ticket items, be willing to stand up for what we are wanting and be willing to lose the relationship. Both people must do this. Otherwise they're, they'll be considered by the other partner as uh, not strong enough for them to stand up to them and they'll start to bend reality to the point where they won't know where reality is anymore. That's the problem with bending reality. So reality is the safest mother. We forget that many times because we get caught up in our own fears of abandonment and other concerns. And then we give up those or sweep them under the rug and they will not go away. Uh, people will fight over these deal breaker issues without knowing that they're uh, fighting over that. They'll fight over other things. And uh, it's an illusion because the elephant in the room is we fundamentally disagree in this direction. And, and truly, in those relationships, there's no way that that's going to just magically work itself out. Uh, it does not. No. Right. It, it never does. It, uh, it, 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 we're moving through time. We're, you know, we're not standing still. And as we move through time, uh, we're shifting and we're changing. And some of these things we feel that we must have become stronger. Other times, uh, we, we let them go because they, they turn out not to be so strong. But it sets the stage for, uh, for not moving in lockstep together, not talking, renegotiating uh, uh, to a point where it's a win-win. We're both happy no compromise here right and the reason not for the compromise is we don't want to create a situation that we have to look back to that we considered too unfair or one of us did that creates trouble so so it is talking being truthful bargaining making sure that you don't move until both people are good to go not just going all right whatever that's not good uh, that's the adult way to do it so you don't keep creating this trail of injustices. So having these you know, essential conversations, moving past it, or yeah. being able to come to a place where like, okay, we're willing to face together in this direction and we can move forward. Yes, you probably know this too. There are many couples that come in with, uh, with uh, deal breakers, some of which they know or they're obvious and some of which they've just passed by. And when we get to it, and they have to deal with that now, they can't sweep it under the rug, they can't kick the can down the road, there comes a crisis. And the crisis many times ends with one person losing, and basically them throwing up their hands and saying, I guess we can't be together. Now, I make sure that I see this couple the next day when they come to that, because it is not uncommon for people in the face of looking at sure, sure death, certain death, to get finally creative and to come up with ideas. That's because of our tendency, our ability to defer problems. But when you can't anymore, sometimes you can figure it out and you can take it off the table for good. Sometimes you can't. 
Well, and I've noticed too that there's moments when couples are in therapy and they're in that, you know, things are just very heightened and they feel like they can't work it out. And the problem becomes the saber-toothed tiger in the room, yes. you know, this thing that they're afraid of. And so, you know, it's that ultimate fight or flight. And the ultimate flight, if, you know, if I, if I can't work this out right now, I can't fight it, I'm gone. Yeah. Yes. And so it sounds like when you give them then that day to go and think about it and come back, maybe yeah. some of that system has been able to calm down and they're able to look at it through fresh eyes. Yes. Well, when we work through the deal breaker is not just a problem in the couple. The deal breaker is a, is a system, a process, an architecture by which the therapist maneuvers. And so when we're in a deal breaker process, the therapist has to uh, get the couple to figure everything out to come up with every possible solution to leave no stone unturned. And usually when they do say they're going to break up, it's because they're out of ideas. No one has any ideas. It's completely, they're at an impasse. It's not just the willy-nilly, I'm out of here because I can't take this. They're really, there's nothing. That's the time many times overnight or over a couple of days when people in the face of nothing come up with something. When, when it's finally, there's nothing left is what you're when saying. When it's finally, there's, everything has been, has been talked through. Everything has been you know, uh, uh, discussed, every possibility. You can't move one city uh, uh, to another city uh, if that's what they're trying to do. Uh, you can't get rid of kids you already have. <laughs> you can't, you know, <laughs> you, you know uh, one person can't quit their job because there'll be no income. You know? So you know, th there's reality issues that they can't solve. Well, let's talk about the a little bit. Uh, well, let's say we'll, we'll move forward, and this couple has worked it out, and and they're staying together. Um, one of the things that you talked about was the importance of living together, and how yes. that really does help. Can you can you speak to that? Well, whenever I see a couple that is uh, that is uh, having a great time, but they're long distance. <laughs> they, they, you know, it's all fantasy still. I mean, even after a year when people eventually get to really know each other, there's still a fantasy element because we're not doing what they would otherwise do, unless they stay there, <clears throat> otherwise would do if they live together. When you live together, now you're in a daily routine. And it's the daily routine that's another test, another milestone for couples. Can they do this? Traveling is another one. But traveling some couples are great at traveling and they're terrible when they come home and some people the reverse so they're two different stressors they're two different uh they, they involve uh, different tasks and challenges and so if you're not living together well it's going to be quite a shock when you do because other things start to happen the closer you get the higher the stakes, the more we are concerned about the other person, depending on them. Is this really the right person? And so you kind of want to keep adding a little bit more as you go, uh, part of that vetting process, uh, because what happens if you're just not good at living together or you can't work it out? Uh, that's the day-to-day -day stuff. So you want to do as many things as you can to, to kick the tires on this thing to see how it's really going to work. Well, and, and that's true when you're having like the, you know, quote unquote, Disneyland relationship where it's just, yes. you know, heightened weekends, you'll never get a realistic perspective. So, you know, it's, it's when you're sitting there with them at, you know, the breakfast table and they smack their food and then they leave their underwear on the floor and, you know, all those little things that then oh, you've become... been to our house. <laughs> Exactly. So, you know, I know how this goes, <laughs> you know, but, but those are the little things that can really, I mean, I have couples and that's what they come in with. It's not sometimes huge yeah. problems. It's like he adds too much spice to the food when he cooks and she doesn't appreciate the wine that I pick out for dinner. Right. And, oh, and those become divorce. Yeah. Th those become huge issues. Now you and I both yeah. know there's stuff underlying all of that, right. but that's yeah. what they come and present with. I know it's funny. People are funny. People are funny and so if interesting. People, if only people realized how funny they were, it, we may not have as many wars. But <laughs> uh, but that's hard because threat always trumps humor. Right, right. Oh, I remember growing up, you know, it was like living together was, you know, you're supposed to get married first and then you live together. But, yes. you know, as I raised my girls, I definitely said, I do think you need to live with someone first because you, you cannot truly know them unless you experience them. Like you just said, you know, in the day in and day out, you're going to see different elements yeah. of someone's personality. Yes. And not and just when they're on their best behavior. 
And to be fair, it's not that people should do this because there's some people who culturally really don't believe in that. They really want to uh, get married first. Or spiritually, having, yeah, their spiritual practice. Sex, yeah. um, uh, they want to do the right. And so, uh, so that's fine. Just know that the first year is usually rough. Uh, not always, but often. Uh, and because there's a whole lot of things you're getting used to. Uh, that are new and novel, and uh, that is exciting, but also is is room for a lot of error and a lot of uh, uh, unintentional uh, accruing of threat. Well, and so the the first year, would you say living together is the hardest as you're trying to acclimate to each other, or what? What do you have some information on that? Well, I think in general, whenever we sh- whenever we go into a big change where um, whether it's a new career, new job, move uh, to another city, uh, move in with somebody and so on. I think the rule of thumb is uh, is it's at least a year to acclimate to something new. It takes at least that long to really uh, settle in, settle down. Uh, so I think people should just know that, that that is common to anything that is that is beyond your, uh, your usual experience. Uh, and if people can understand that, then maybe they can tolerate it a little bit. Like I say, also that all people are annoying. That's to help you understand. And don't be disappointed if your partner is irritating, because everybody is. So I think that is really what I'm saying here: is that it takes a, a year, generally speaking, to acclimate to anything that's brand new. Well, and and that makes sense too, because I have a lot of couples that will come in and they've you know just been living together for like six months, and they're like in this disillusionment phase. Like, this yes. was not what I signed up for. This is not what I thought. But it's really just part of that acclimating to another person and trying to understand someone else's habits. And like you said, I mean, you know, like like the first line of one of your TED Talks, it's like, relationships are difficult. Yes. Hanging out with other people in their dirty laundry, it's difficult. It's difficult, yeah. If you want it easy, then you get a, a sea monkey, you know, or a, a chia pet or something. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, pe- people uh, are, are difficult. Animals, all animals are difficult. Um, and that's just the way it is. But, uh, uh, but remember, keep in mind, as difficult you think your partner is, you're no piece of cake. So... Uh, <laughs> and too, Brutus. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, people are difficult. Well, and actually, I loved when you said that, you know, in, in your book, that it's okay to be high maintenance. We're all high maintenance. Yeah. Inside, deeply, we're high maintenance people. Yeah. And if we, if we don't seem it yet, we will be. Um, you know, a little bit of illness will do that. Uh, or other losses and so on will do that. So, yeah, it's that's an illusion uh, of being, yeah, there are people who are more difficult than others, but so what? Uh, if you're really good at that person, they're not so difficult. Uh, so much of this isn't I picked the wrong person. It's I picked the right person, and I still don't know how to manage them. Um, I still don't know how to manage that experience when someone gets angry with me like my father. I still don't know, uh, know how to deal with that experience when uh, I'm dealing with uh, somebody who is critical and judgmental of me, like my mother, right? So it, it's, it's not that I picked wrong. It's that I've, I've picked familiarity and, re- and I recognize this person and I still don't know how to handle the state I get into when they behave a certain way that's familiar to me. And then I think I, I married wrong. Well, and so, and so that's interesting. And that kind of, that kind of goes into one of the questions that I, that I had for you. Um, when you're talking about, you know, in, in your books about becoming an expert on the other person. Yes. Talk a little bit about what does that involve? How, I mean, because a lot of times people go into relationships and they are actually pretty self-centered. It's like, what does this relationship do for me? What does this person do for me? And so, so to be in this very different place where we're like looking at this other person truly and saying, how can I become an expert and show up in this person's life and know this person's responses and reactions and attune to them? Well, there was a movie character. I, I, I think it was uh, in uh, uh, Say Anything. I'm not sure. But I may not be good at uh, many things, sir, addressing her father, but I'm good at your daughter. Um, you know, I may not be good at anything else, but I'm good at you. Why? Because I made you a career. I'm, you know, I'm a Stephanie whisperer. I pay attention. I watch you. I know how you move. I know that if I move to your left, you don't like it as much as I move to your right. Um, I care about being a good um, 
handler in a good sense, not a bad sense um, of you. I know how to move you around without you feeling resentful. I never use fear, threat, or guilt to do that. I know exactly how to attract you. You know how to do that with me. We feel competent. We feel a great self-esteem at being able to be good uh, managers of each other, uh, not ourselves, of each other. This is how we get our needs met. And, uh, and in that sense, we can take each other everywhere and we're still with our best friend, but also uh, the parents that we maybe should have had but didn't that are able to limit us, push us, move us up, bring us down. Uh, this, is a, this is not just a skill, it's an intention. A lot of people do not have this intention and don't think they should. I don't think I should have to do that. So that's coming from the me generation and, you know, I'm self-made person, you know, uh, you go off and go into therapy, fix yourself and then come back when you're ready. Um, It's a misunderstanding of our wiring and what the potential, what we can do in pair bonding situations, that we have this ability built in uh, to be able to read each other's faces and to read each other's intentions, also to make mistakes with this too, but that we're constantly learning and curious, right? We're curious still and we're watching, we're we're looking into the eyes uh, instead of just always thinking we know the partner, which is a a natural state, by the way. Um, We automate each other and we think we know each other, and then we stop looking. Um, so as long as we're paying attention, we can, we can also activate that dopaminergic addictive love, which we call exciting love, by being in each other's eyes, by sharing third things as novelty. That is regenerating, the, uh, re-energizing the relationship, and it also takes us off the track of overly familiar. You're, and I look in your eyes, uh, gazing into your eyes, when I pay attention to you, you there's a strangerness that's always been there that begins to become apparent, and now you're exciting again, see? But that really takes looking and attentiveness and presence, as my friend uh, Dan Siegel says. Uh, that's the only antidote uh, to this automation problem. It's really being in the present moment with your partner yes. and really attuning with intention where you're looking deeply within them, within their yes. eyes. yes. Who and, are and, you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, and I love that because I, in, in my thought, I always, I, I never liked when people, I know you said relationships are difficult, but I, I don't like when I think about relationships are work, like somehow I work had a negative, yeah, yeah, negative connotation. But when I say to myself works, I mean, uh, relationships are intention. Yeah. That really resonates with me. Our intention and attention. Yeah. yeah. By the way, that message, you know, well, honey, you know, relationships are a lot of work. That's that's a real good sales pitch to kids. That sounds really terrible, dad or mom. I, I think I don't want to do that. <laughs> so, yeah, this idea takes work, um, speaks to, I think, the natural uh, self-centeredness of the human. Um, we, you know, we, we are uh, self-centered, uh, natural, naturally. Uh, we are aware of what we don't have. That's the comparing mind. That's part of the human condition. It sucks, but that's what we yeah. do. Yeah. And uh, and we, we pay very little attention to what we do have. I mean, really, a real attention, uh, which is where all the magic is, actually. Well, and so... In, in part of this, I guess the, the, that makes me think about, you know, having a daily gratitude practice. And, yes. you know, I, I've actually seen relationships change. I had a couple that had been together 47 years. Mm-hmm. And when they came into my office, literally, we, we talked about this, about how they didn't have any appreciation for each other. And um, they, they both felt very disrespected. And just that simple exercise in one week of them going yes. home and noticing three things they could affirm to each other at the end of the night before right. they went to bed, they came back in a, in a very different place a week later, just with that simple, small attunement. Yes, because the opposite of misery is gratitude. Uh, you can't be miserable if you're, if you're grateful. Um, you can't simultaneously do both because misery is, is realizing uh, the one's emptiness, one's suffering, one's, uh, one's uh, having nothing. But uh, the recognition of what you do have um, really dissolves that other experience, right? You can't have both. Uh, the happiest people are the ones who really count their blessings uh, together. So I, I think that's a fabulous thing you have them do. Uh, I think even doing, you know, doing it more during the day, these things can be done very quickly um, in little moments of spontaneity. We're not talking about a big uh, Megillah here. 
Um, it is the day-to-day -day little things that keep us afloat and keep us energized, resourced, and keeping us feeling like, you know, this is worth it. This is, this makes me better. This enables me to do more than I ordinarily would be able to do if I did not have this person. But that, that takes an awareness that, uh, that we're making given things every day without much uh, thanks. And I think, when, like you said, I mean, and when people don't feel appreciated, then they're in that place of misery and whatever we focus right. on expands. Yes, it and does. And we get more of. Yeah, it does. Now, several people talked to you. Know, John Gottman did a whole research project on this, uh, even to the point of, of giving a ratio, uh, you know, change five to one, then 25 to one, and so on, depending on, on the state of the mind of the couple, 25 positives to one negative. Um, but another way to look at it is if, if the relationship were, was a pool, uh, you know, like a swimming pool, and you stop uh, feeling it and it begins to uh, it begins to drain or just evaporate what you're left with is all the sediment all the stuff that's always been there that you don't like but now that's center stage because you you don't keep putting things in and uh, and one of the problems uh, I'm sure you see it is uh, partners who are unhappy with each other or angry with each other also, do not do anything fun, don't do anything loving, don't do anything affectionate. And now they've withdrawn all this good stuff and all they've got is the negative. Well, that's, yeah, exactly. That's it. You know, and, and I, I use the, um, the metaphor of an emotional bank account. Yeah, all, all of those work. Right, yes. all of these work. Whether Whatever a metaphor. Pool, a bank account, we gotta be making deposits and putting the water in, right? Or yes. it's, we're gonna have nothing. And it's so logical. And yet people, because we become so emotionally driven and driven by our experience of threat and disappointment, that we fail to adhere to reality, right? We know, we, everyone knows this, I think, that if you stop doing this stuff, something, something not good is going to happen. But many people go, well, uh, I'll do it if you do it, oh, yeah. which is, which is uh, again, a lack of principles. Uh, I do what I do because I believe that's how it should be done. I don't wait for you to do it. Uh, if I believe that I should be putting into the relationship, I will keep doing that uh, until I'm not going to be with you anymore. But I don't stop doing it simply because you're not doing it anymore. The Spark is supported by its listeners, and by Audible.com. With over 180,000 titles to choose from, Audible.com allows you to listen to an immense library of books for every taste on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, tablet, or computer, including titles that have been featured on this very program, such as Molly's Game by Molly Bloom and The Abundance Effect by Justin Morales. Audible.com has a special offer for listeners of The Spark, which includes a free audiobook of your choice and a 30-day free trial. Learn more and get your free audiobook now at thesparkpod.com audible. What would be some things that you could share that, that would be those things that will bring those highlights to a relationship? What, what helps bring, you know, what things can you focus on? Or when you're talking about, you know, affirmations, um, gratitude, what other things do you help couples to focus on to bring more of the spark back to their lives? Well, the nighttime in the morning, uh, I, I've said many times, is the most two most important times um, for children and adults. It's it, these are big uh, periods of separations and reunions. Uh, they count big in the attachment world, and so spending time putting each other to bed, spending a time at night, making sure you have that protected time, uh, and not just simply do parallel play where you guys are engaged in something separate and and wake up in the morning do something that launches your day uh, with each other so that the other thing is novelty 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 go on trips go someplace neither of you have been throw yourself both of you into a situation that neither of you know anything about take classes there's only a million things to do that uh, that couples can elect to do together that neither of them have ever done before that level 
levels the playing field and it creates a third event, uh, uh, exercise, task, or uh, or situation um, that feeds the brain. The brain loves novelty. It lights up. And when we use that novelty f- for each other's excitement, uh, then we regenerate that addictive kind of love. If we just go and we see the Eiffel Tower and we just look at it and silently go, wow, that's really beautiful. And we don't look to each other and go, oh, I, I love you. You're so beautiful. Um, I'm so happy to be here with you. If you don't do that, then two things. One, you're not getting the drug high that you could get through the amplification effect of two human brains. But also, it's a waste of, uh, it's a waste of energy because that should be used for mana, for food, um, for the couple, right? We're using that third thing to feed ourselves. And people can also do this with personal excitement. So I get some good news. Instead of telling my wife I got good news, I can call her or look at her and say, I'm so happy to be with you. So that excitement uh, is is converted to something usable by my partner. I've used this example to uh, elderly elderly uh, uh, people, a couple sitting in a cabana, beautiful place, watching their kids and their grandkids. She's so excited about watching them. He's reading a book. He's introverted. She says, "Look at uh, how could you how could you be reading this book when there's so many beautiful things happening out there? Shame on you." Okay, that's not really cool. I mean, that's not going to you know uh, boost that love. Right. But if she used this, used this to go. Oh, my darling, I'm so happy that we're here. We're blessed to be with our kids. It's so lovely to be here with you. He can use that. They can both use that. And now the amplification effect means that they have more dopamine in the presynaptic areas of the brain. More dopamine. uh, Hard to get that without cocaine. That's how you do it. Um, You throw it to your partner for use. These are ways to keep that going. And the reason I look at you and tell you, God, you're adorable, or I am so proud of you, is not just for you. Whenever I declare something to you, whenever I give you something, it's actually do, does something for me. I start to feel better about myself. I start to feel like I have purpose. I start to feel like I'm connected to something good. So when people think of this as, oh, I got to do this for him, or, I got to do this for her, they're mistaken. It's far more powerful for me to say, I love you, I trust you, than it is for me to hear it. This has to do with declarative statements. This has to do with something fancy about my sense of self is consolidated, is affirmed by my declaring something to you about you. So people, you know, a lot of this has to do with attitude in our culture, attitudes from our family, where you know, if only we knew uh, how the brain works and how the system works, uh, we might not do half of the things we do without uh, without thinking twice. Well, because the opposite is true as well, right? If we're cutting somebody down, if we're being judgmental or negative, we really are saying it to ourselves. The impact right. is within. I picked you. What does that say about me? <laughs> so, but if we do it in the positive. If we were like, I'm, you know, I, I love you. You're amazing. We're feeling those feelings. And that's yes. why you're saying too, if I'm following you, yes, that we're yes. enhancing our own uh, experience of that. Yes. Self and other are intimately entwined. They always were. They'll always be that way. Uh, if I devalue you, uh, it affects my sense of self. If I elevate you, I'm talking about, you know, not to, not on a pedestal, but if I elevate you by affiliation with you, uh, I elevate myself. So these two are intertwined. And uh, so many couples uh, are shadow boxing. They're punching themselves in the face. And they don't realize it. And they yeah. don't realize it. Yeah. They don't at all. Yeah. So looking, yeah. looking at how we are verbalizing our love, and I, and, I, and I really keyed in on and resonated with the part that you were saying, you know, you do it for your partner, whether they're doing it for you or not. Yes, because I believe in that. Yeah. That's how I decided to comport myself in a relationship. And that's what I thought I was uh, choosing. And maybe, maybe you're not that person. That could be a reason for us to have a sit down. Um, but that's why I say, what kind of relationship should it be? And then you do that. You don't expect the other person to do it first. You do that. Well, and that's part of taking responsibility for who we are and for our own experience. That's right. I don't wait for it to happen outside of me. My happiness or, or whatever is not outside of me, I can generate it from right here. It's always more powerful, Stephanie, for me to make an argument that includes you in it. Remember, 
I have to do this for you, Stephanie. It's not just me asking you to do it. I expect it from you. You expect it from me. I expect to do that for you. This is what we do. It's not just for you. It's, it's, I mean, it's not just for me. It's for you. Yeah. Um, and this is where partners position themselves in a, uh, in a way that their argument becomes almost unassailable because how can you argue against something that, uh, that I'm saying is also for you? Um, it benefits you. And I have to do the same thing. Um, this is, again, an expression of fairness. Uh, a fairness. So uh, it's, a, it's a stronger position to argue from and to pull the other person in, in this way. You have a new book. Yes. That's coming out. And, Actually, and two. Two. One, Tell me. One, one already came out. It's another direct to audio uh, through Sounds True called Relationship Rx. And this is much more comprehensive than uh, your brain on love uh, for those people who have not heard it. So it's, it's direct to audio and uh, several chapters. And this focuses on common problems that relation that partners have. And we're using actors this time uh, to play out the worst case scenarios, uh, the worst case uh, way of dealing with stuff and the be- better and best way to deal with things. So Great. there's that. And then we do, which yeah. is a book on, on pre-commitment. Yeah. Yeah. So talk about we do and and the importance of pre-commitment. We don't have, you know, a lot of people learning about relationship, about premarital stuff. Um, I'm in the business of, you know, even though I have to do work with people who have been together for a long time, um, I'm, I prefer to think in terms of prevention. And so, I like it when people come in uh, and they're thinking about getting married or living together or whatever, because we can work intensively in the beginning so that they'll know at least what they'll be fighting about for the next 20 years. And they'll know they'll be able to start um, working with each other in a way that that does not accrue uh, what I end up seeing, which is a biological threat system of constant repeating errors and misattuned moments that go unrepaired and unfixed. People remember this, they misappraise it, they assume it's dangerous because of memory, uh, and, uh, and then that becomes very hard to untangle 30 years later. So starting early and getting people to do secure functioning as early as possible is what I'm trying to do here with the book to, to offer, you know, my experience uh, as a couples therapist and, and how predictable most problems in marriages are. And if I had been able to see them in the beginning, probably could have predicted it and we could have avoided it. So that's what that book is, is about, is prevention. In that book, you're helping couples identify what may be, if they haven't hit them yet, the, the stumbling blocks or the bumps in the yes. road. Yes. And hopefully getting people to look at deal breakers before they get married. Well, and, and you had said earlier, and, and the interesting thing about that is early in our relationships, we might have something that we say is a deal breaker, but we're willing to compromise it in the beginning. Yeah. yeah that, that can I worry. be one of those... Words are, are, are tricky because everyone assigns meaning to different words. Um, for me, compromise has a slight tinge to it that somebody has given up something for which they will want a recompense. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so rather than give up anything, what else could we do? Um, how could we work it together? Because everything that's going to come to us, we're going to have to parse and we're going to have to make it so that uh, when we advance, move forward, decide not to do something, we're doing it together in a way that there's nothing uh, that will hold against each other. So we have to make sure that we're both on board. And that is an attitude. It's a belief. It's something you have to uh, decide early uh, that you're going to do. Otherwise, you'll be like so many people. You'll be litigating everything that was ever unfair, and that can just consume the relationship. So it's really making sure if I say to you, Stephanie, you know, this is what I really want. And you say you really don't want that, but you'll compromise, you'll, you'll do it. I have to worry because I don't want you moving with me with that feeling. Um, I'll pay for that. So I'm going to say, let's stop the presses. Let's work this out so that you are okay with it. And I'll, I'll determine that by not just what you say, but what you look like with your face and your voice and so on. Um, it may not by, be kind for kind, but it may be, how about if I do this? How about if we do this um, uh, that I know you love 
Um, would that make you happier about this decision? Uh, you're getting there, she says. Um, how about this then? Okay. So, so we're bargaining so that when we're ready to go, we're both thumbs up, we're good, uh, there's an understanding, and there's nothing to look back at. That's what I'm talking about. But people don't do that. Right. <laughs> Negotiators right. understand this. But um, a lot of people don't come from families where that happened. And so they only know to compromise or give up or to concede or to do this for love, you know. But uh, again, uh, the other partner has to watch out for this because if I accept something where uh, you're not that happy, uh, it's my fault. It's my problem. It's my fault. I well, accept it, it. Well, and then it sounds like, I mean, then that person that's compromised, they're not being true to themselves. They're not going to be right. able to be truly authentic in the relationship. And that's maybe right. that's how resentment and some of those things really build, maybe underline, but they're that's there. That's true. And that's the obvious one. I haven't said that one. The person who's not saying, who's not saying, no, I really don't want to do this. The answer is no. Um, I'm obvious. I'm not saying that about them because it's, it's, it's clearly obvious. What's not so obvious to people is that the person who gets, who uh, gets the gig, uh, you know, at the other person's expense is actually in trouble when they do that. So they also have to pay very strong attention to this. Both people have a responsibility. So it's, it's truly got to be, when you're talking about this bargaining, it's got to be a win-win. Got to be a win-win, yeah, or we don't move. Right. It's not, uh, you know, it's not always that way, right? Life is not that perfect. Uh, but then if it, but if it isn't win-win, then and uh, you lost, I've got to do something to make up for that. And that's where the bargaining comes in. Or, the, or, a, grand, or a grand gesture that, you, that levels it out. Okay. Okay. Right. Well, tell me, tell me a little bit more. What else is in the new book in, in We Do? It's, it's got some of these things to avoid these roadblocks or these speed bumps. What well, else a, is a the large, guide? large section on sex because that's uh, uh, our bread and butter as, uh, as a couple therapists. Uh, and, and on fighting, those two areas have expanded uh, uh, chapters. Uh, also, being able to read each other, read each other's faces. There's exercises and games uh, in every chapter uh, on how to do this. Uh, talking about shared principles of governance. What do you believe in? Where are you pointing? Are you pointing in the same direction? Do you believe in the same things uh, with big ticket items? Uh, are you being truthful about it? Why are you picking each other? Uh, what's the point of your relationship, right? What do you serve? Who do you serve? Uh, why should you be together uh, in the long run? And, uh, you know, uh, the things about being attracted and it's, you know, we're, we're sexually uh, excited with each other. Uh, we have the same things and interests. Those things are transient. Uh, it's got to be more than that. Because, again, we're not talking about nature's plan. We're talking about our plan for right. the long run. And we're living longer now. So, uh, so we need that. Uh, on how to deal with children, how to deal with stepchildren, how to manage third things and third people and tasks that, that are always there to take resources from our couple system. We have to jealously guard that and decide together who gets in and who doesn't and who loses in a gambit for our resources or one of us, uh, right? So uh, I use an example many times, uh, people can't maybe not be able to see, but if I get a text from somebody, a student or somebody, uh, it's female and it looks a little iffy, I'll show my, uh, my wife, Tracy, I'll say, what should we do about her? Um, we handle everybody together. We handle things together. Uh, we don't have uh, separate uh, dealings with other people uh, uh, without including each other. And, and I don't mean in a codependent way. I'm talking about in a governing way. Yeah, yeah. Um, our left hand needs to know what our right hand is doing. So that kind of thing is, is really setting the couple up for, for endurance, to be able to handle load-bearing, which life is going to uh, provide. Uh, in ways that are surprising, uh, to be able to learn how to take care of the self and the other simultaneously. This is not uh, a natural thing for people to do, and yet it is the more complex thing to do in terms of social-emotional complexity. So we're trying to get people up to speed, not only with what they're deciding to do, uh, but how they're setting the stage, setting everything up for uh, the rest of uh 
uh, life, including all the other decisions they're going to have to make beyond this first one, right? First one is, is sort of a, an early milestone to see how well this couple deals uh, as a team. Is there a timeline that you see? You know, I know you said, you know, you should live with somebody and, and you know, we were talking about a year. Is there a timeline as far as like when, when we're going to get married or when we're going to, if we know someone is, do you have any idea around that? Well, if, if, if you and I fall in love and we decide to get married in three months, we're going to have that year no matter what. So uh, have the year being married or have the year not being married. If you're not living together, then that's not a fair test. But, but either way, either way, um, the person you're with is going to become very different soon. And uh, so are you. Depending on how much insecurity uh, you have yet to resolve or to work out in a dependency relationship. Those people who've worked it out pretty well through therapy, through other relationships, more mature people or people who are more secure in general are not going to have as many issues, right? This has to do with memory that, you know, and sort of what uh, Ivan Bozerman and Naj used to call the revolving ledger, right? Uh, things that have not yet been paid, <laughs> bills, debts, and so on that other people have created, but now you're responsible for it, partner. Right, right. Um, so this is the nature of this kind of relationship. So just you know, get support. You want support. And that's something we didn't talk about. The couple needs to have uh, concentric rings of social supports from the very intimate to the more distal. And without that, they, they will not be able to really do their work. Well, uh, a couple by itself without uh, support is like a person by themselves without support. They go mad. Uh, they start to, to develop uh, symptoms, uh, physical and, and psychological symptoms. So we need people, you know, it used to be that way, you know, we, we'd be married within the tribe. We'd be married within, within the, the herd, right? And that's, uh, we're constantly being supported and, and, and buffered, right? by that. So there's also that. I'm not sure if I answered your question or not. Well, I, I think, I think, I mean, we, I, there's not a specific timeline, but you're talking about some oh, of the timeline, things that are really, yes. but, but you're talking about things that are really important to the success of the couple. You know, yes. and I've been to so many weddings where they'll say, you know, basically they're inviting everyone in to say, yeah, we're all here. Like the whole congregation will respond back we're here to support this couple, basically, because it yes. takes, like we, I think we talked about before, it, it takes a village to raise a child and it takes a village to support a couple. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it, it is so true. Uh, and it is so wonderful to think like this. But unfortunately, a lot of people don't have a village. Um, and some people don't want a village. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> and, uh, and, uh, they could suffer the consequences of that. Uh, maybe not, uh, but uh, it's a problem. Uh, one thing in terms of timelines is that we know that couples go through different stages, especially culturally dependent ones. But to be sure, we're moving through time. Our biology is changing. Uh, our neurobiology is changing. There's uh, new neural pathways being formed. Neuroplasticity is still continuing. We still get brain upgrades even uh, at 50. Uh, you know, and the upgrades are not new new cells, uh, but they're, they're new dendrites, new dendritic connections in the brain. And so there's more of us there than there would be when we were younger, um, more available to us. And with that knowledge comes a shift in what we want and where we're going. And so people have to understand that they're moving through time. This idea of, I want to go back to where we were is impossible. We're not those people anymore. We're not uh, 20-year-olds. Uh, we didn't just meet. So people have to you know, put themselves into a context, moving through time together. And, and because our biology is changing, because our health may be uh, getting better or getting worse, there is entropy. We have to make adjustments with each other as we go, which is why I'm saying focus on the big things, not the small things. The small things are going to be changing quite a bit. Generally, when people are moving this way, they don't drift. There are people who drift, and they drift, and one person is no longer wanting to be with this person. They want something else. They, you know, and these people always, uh, uh, to, from the beginning, were a little bit too distant. They led too many, too much separate lives, uh, um, and that caused uh, an ongoing drift that they couldn't really deter. Uh, they couldn't detect until it was too late. But generally, when people are moving together, they don't. Uh, they grow together. 
they grow together. And so people just need to remember that there, there are constantly timelines. Having a, a new child, uh, first child, timeline. Having a mm-hmm. second child for some people, even more stressful. Um, and so this is, again, all these um, stress loads that we're uh, taking on. Is the couple continuing to be a couple, girlfriend and boyfriend, or girlfriend and girlfriend, or boyfriend and boyfriend? That is the, that is the engine that's driving everything not mother, father, mother, father is not a great engine <laughs> that's focused on the kid. That's for the kids, right. but it's not very sexy and it's not very romantic, <laughs> but for girlfriend and boyfriend throughout life. And that is what, that's, the, that's the constant, right? We're creating a constant and boy, do we need that as we're moving through life and things go bump in the night. Well, and I think, you know, an important thing that you're speaking of, too, is, you know, in the beginning, we've talked about this, there's always this, you know, chemical cocktail that can be very intoxicating. And people think sometimes, well, that's just the good stuff. And that's the stuff that movies and romance novels capitalize on that phase of relationship. But can you speak to, I mean, what are the gifts, the good stuff, if you will, the longer that we're together, and we're willing to do this intentional work and really show up for each other and attune to and become experts with each other? Well, nature's cocktail is easy. I mean, uh, everything's easy when you're on drugs. So, uh, so it's not it's not a litmus test for anything. Uh, the litmus test isn't the the rocket fuel that jettisons you into a relationship, right? Um, that gets you in, right? But then now what? Well, it's the day to day small deeds. It's the day to day gestures. It's the proof day to day that we are each other's defenders, keepers. We are in each other's care. We have each other's backs. We're making that clear every day. That begins to develop a different kind of love that is far more deep, uh, far more lasting based on, I know you, I know you come through for me because you you do it again and again. I do it for you again and again. That is hard to compete with uh, with any kind of new stuff because new people, even though they give you that first initial excitement of novelty, they cannot do what the other person has proven to be able to do. They don't know these Easter eggs, these little hidden things that only they know when you're in the, when I'm in the grips of something, my partner knows what it is. She's able to move it out or get me out of it. No one knows it's all behind the scenes, right? We know these things about each other because we come, we become experts. That's platinum. And that evokes, that involves a different kind of love that is enough fuel uh, that we're creating every day to get us through space, sort of regenerating that fuel. And that is what carries us through the long run. The other stuff does not, will not, cannot. It burns too fast and hard. And uh, it, it's not based on deed. Uh, it's not based on somebody doing something in a way for you that nobody else would do unless they paid, got paid a lot of money, right? So, <laughs> so we're demonstrating this every day. The proof is in the pudding, so to speak. It's, it's as you show up day yes. after day, yes. moment after moment. Yes. And, and I love that. I mean, I love listening to you talk about this because it's, it, that is what is so much hope that we really can do this with one another. Right. You know, we really can learn how to attune deeply to one another and that the benefits of really becoming experts and giving these things to one another right. outweigh any other quick novelty flash, if you will. And we can right. actually grow yeah. some of that novelty with the person that we're with. It's not just that none of those sparks or none of those chemicals will ever happen again. It, we don't even want it to be like the beginning after you have all this stability and all this, I know you've got my back. I know you're going to show up for me. You, you can replicate it, like I, in the ways that I've said. Um, you can replicate it daily, the, that, that initial cocktail, minus some, because uh, the anxiety isn't there anymore. So part of that in love experience is nature's way of making you uncertain and anxious, literally a drop in, in serotonin. Uh, and so, so we perseverate over this person. If we didn't do that, we would lose interest and just go on to the next person in front of us. So nature has a plan. Nature uh, does this without our thinking about it. But, but we, can, we can and should recreate 
the exciting love that was created through presence and attention and novelty, not all the time, just enough of the time. But the only way to totally recreate the beginning is to, God forbid, lose our memory, in which case every time I see you, oh, my God, you're so beautiful. Who are you? Um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Or to keep switching people out, which some people do. But it is a grown-up way of, of being, you know, like the car, the police car to protect and serve. Mm-hmm. We protect and serve. We, uh, I serve you. You serve me. This is uh, quid pro quo. Uh, we both get taken care of. It's only a problem when one of us doesn't see it that way, and, and now it feels too unbalanced and not fair. So when it is, we're both going out of our way to get much more than we're giving. Uh, that's the phenomenon of service, right? You, you start to serve, you feel gratitude, and you get more than you deserve <laughs> for that. <laughs> but this is so hard because so many of us were raised in families where there was too much unfairness, where there was too much, uh, you know, using uh, without getting in return. And so, unfortunately, we come to the table already paranoid, already jealous, already fearful of, uh, of what the other person might do in this dependency situation. So how do we start to break through that? By understanding (laughs) that you both are stakeholders. It's not just one of you. Um, Like a three-legged race in a potato sack game. One of you goes down, you both go down. That together you thrive and survive uh, or you experience the consequences of that. This is uh, about survival and, and mutual care because nobody else does care about you uh, except the two of you. Parents have done their jobs. Your kids, it's not their job to do that. It's the two of you. And people can understand and look further ahead and look around them to see what could happen and are you together enough to protect each other, that that is reality. And so, so much of this is attitude. So much of this is a, a sit down, come to Jesus about, you know, why are we doing this? What do we serve? Well, we serve each other. We serve each other's safety. We serve each other's well-being. That's how we ensure our own, um, because that's the again the quid pro quo. Uh, we're both doing it. Um, if people follow that idea, they'll be able to do the little things. But you have to have the big idea. Why are we doing this? What is the point? Why not just get a dog? Why not just hire somebody to do this? It's got to be more than just that feeling of lust and love. Uh, That's romantic love. Uh, It's a different kind of love, one that is filled with respect, with uh, with radical loyalty, radical uh, devotion. You put your money all into the other person. It's an investment, and the other person's doing that with you. But you have to do a leap of faith. Unfortunately, this is one of the things you can't appraise from the outside. Uh, you can only appraise once you've taken the leap and you, and you say to your partner, kill me if you will, I am yours, you have my full trust. And of course, that would be folly of the other person to take advantage of that. But it only happens when you both do that. And the thing that I'm hearing too, and you can tell me if this is correct, I mean, do we all have that innate desire to connect at that level, no matter what circumstances we've been through in our lives? That I at, think so. Not, at, at a not, deep yeah. level of, of truly wanting to be able to be authentically, deeply, genuinely connected to a person at, at our deepest level. I believe so. If you look in, in modern culture, uh, even uh, in the silliest of sh- TV shows and movies, um, what earns another person's trust who hated you, who thought you were the, you know, the uh, evil uh, person? Uh, uh, that person saved their life uh, now. Okay, now you've won me over. Now you're somebody I can I could trust for the very first time. I'll tell you anything. Okay, so it is about uh, survival. It is about trusting the other person with your life and them showing up in a way that proves that you can. That's what it's about. And I do believe everybody wants that. Otherwise, we wouldn't be fascinated in loving these TV shows and movies and, and literature that, uh, that shows us what that could be. We wouldn't long for it. Well, and Stan, thank you so much for, I mean, all of your work and, and the, these books that you have written as guideposts and, and ways that people can start learning this so that they can, they too can have this in their lives. Thank you. I, that's, truly. that's our mission, both Tracy and I. Uh, we truly feel that uh, mission. 
So if that helps people, then I'm glad to be part of that. How can people get a hold of you or find out more about your book? They can visit the PACT Institute uh, online, the PACT, P-A-C-T, institute.com. We do trainings for therapists. That's how this all started. I am a, a really a college professor. Uh, then I started training therapists to do this work. Uh, we do it all over the world, all over the country. And you can see the schedules there. Uh, it's a lot of fun to work psychobiologically. And then for people who are interested in couples retreats, Tracy and I do them all over the country. Uh, we just finished at Kripalu. We'll be at Omega Esalen, um, uh, 1440 uh, Multiverse, and then also Shambhala in, in Colorado this year. And you can find all that information on the PactInstitute.com. Well, wonderful, because I live in Colorado, so I'm going to check out that Shambhala. Oh, come, please. It's so much fun. And it then, and then, awesome. And then we can spend time. I can meet uh, uh, you in person and your partner. That would be wonderful. I would you'll, love you'll that, like it. Stan. You'll okay, like okay. I'm going to check it out as soon as I get off here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. It was such a joy talking with Stan Tatkin. Through his own personal experience and his relationship, and then all the valuable tools that he shared, it gives so much hope that we can learn how to attune to each other in relationship. We can become experts with one another. And it starts literally in the dating phase of our relationships. By starting to choose differently, and realizing sometimes it is just the chemical cocktail that might be clouding our vision. We take enough time so that what we're able to do is Sherlock, as he said, we're able to do some Sherlocking. We can really tell if we're truly compatible with this person, as well as we're able to do some vetting, which is introducing people to your friends and family and having people give you feedback to really see if you guys are a fit. And all these things take time. I think one of the messages that I really got from my interview with Stan is that, you know, it's okay to take a year to really get to know someone. And not that it's the only way and it's okay not to live with someone before marriage, of course. But when you live with someone, to live with someone for a year before you take the relationship to the next level. Having that kind of time frame allows us to truly get to know someone else's heart and soul. We get to see them in all different kinds of situations. As Stan says, relationships are difficult. Life can be difficult. Being single can be difficult. So what's important is saying, hey, I'm willing to commit, to show up, to be intentional, whether it's the beginning phases of dating or all the way through to living together or marriage, or further partnership, companionship, whatever that's going to look like. Sometimes we have to think out of the box to learn how to do relationships differently. It's not just automatic pilot. We have to become conscious and intentional in our relationships, and then we can watch them blossom and develop, bloom into something that is truly one of the most fulfilling gifts in our lifetime, and that is a truly connected and loving relationship. Remember, The Spark is your show, too. If you have questions, feedback on the show, or if you're going through something and need a little help, we'd love to hear from you. Continue the conversation with us at our website, thesparkpod.com, and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. New episodes of The Spark air Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Mountain, and podcast episodes are released the same day. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, wherever you get your podcasts. The show is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional and should not be considered medical advice. If you're having a mental or physical health crisis, please seek treatment immediately. The Spark is produced by NOCO Media Limited, which is solely responsible for its content. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Spark, igniting your best life. I'm Stephanie James.